Okay, we're supposed to be in Romans chapters 15 and 16 tonight. If you remember where we are chronologically, you know we're at the end of Paul's third missionary journey or in the latter part of that journey. He has a three-month stay in the city of Corinth, and it is in the city of Corinth where he writes this letter back, or this letter to, uh, the church in Rome. And what one of the major issues that's happening is that this is a church that doesn't have all of the miraculous gifts that they have needed, uh, but there have been people that are converted to other places that have settled in Rome. And tonight, when we get into chapter 16, you'll see some of those names, and we'll discuss some of those names Uh but So they had a problem with that, uh, but they also had a problem with how they were relating to each other, and especially as it related to Jew and Gentile. And so the Jews, as you know, in many places, but even in Rome, had an issue with the Gentiles, and they wanted them to be, you know, Jewish Christians. They wanted them to, they couldn't be just a Gentile. There were things they had to hang on to. And so Paul writes this book to prove that nobody has ever been or ever will be saved outside of the blood of Jesus. And that means even when they were under the old law as the Jews had been, they could not be saved without the blood of Jesus, right? And so after the day of Pentecost, nobody could be saved without the blood of Jesus, right? So what's the difference? Nobody can be saved without the blood of Jesus. That's his argument in this book. And he gets very practical as you get to the end of the book, and he deals with various issues that they are struggling with in Rome. And you know the last class we dealt with chapter 13 and 14 when he did uh, he talked about the government and their responsibility to respect the authority of the government pay their taxes and things like that Uh, and then in chapter 14 which is going to continue on in the first part of chapter 15 tonight as well he dealt with opinions and you remember we identified he talked about the weaker brother and on Sunday I I, I mentioned that when we use that word we think of somebody who you know, is not faithful in attendance or somebody who is struggling with a sin. We think that person is weak. That's not the context of what's happening there in Romans 14. The weaker brother in Romans 14 is the one that has the strict conscience. So their opinions are very strong and they're strict on themselves. And so you need to bear with those people because if they violate their conscience, they have sinned. If there's something that's wrong, that's not wrong, but in your conscience you believe it to be wrong... You have to abide by that. Okay? Now, you don't put that opinion on everybody else. And that's where some of the struggle comes in, too. Because if you believe something, you have a reason to believe it, don't you? You haven't just decided to make life harder for yourself. So they struggle with that. So if we start into chapter 15, he's going to continue with some of the the, the way. He's going, to, he's going to start telling them how they get to that point to where they can bear with each other and their opinions. And actually the word he'll use, the way it's translated in the New King James Version, is the word scruples. So Romans 15, beginning of verse 1. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak, not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Now, I'm going to tell you what he didn't say. This is what we like to say from passages like this. What he didn't say is that I live by your opinions. He didn't say that. And and sometimes we want to say, well, this hurts me, or this is the way my conscience is, and so you ought to give in and be like me. You You ought to bear with my conscience. That's not what he said. He said, work with each other, have the same mind with each other, reach this place where you can agree that things that are a matter of opinion... We don't have to agree upon. 
Now, people have taken that throughout time and, and applied it to matters of doctrine. That's not the same thing. You know, it, there's a difference between saying that baptism is necessary for salvation and saying, I think that it's good that we have two worship services on Sunday. Sunday. There's a difference in those two things. And we need to figure out the differences and we need to, we need to get to the place where we can, we can work together for the purpose of glorifying Christ. And, and in fact, that's the example that he uses. Even Jesus himself came and submitted himself to the restrictions that he lived with. Why? So that others could be benefited. Well, we're in a world today where my rights are a lot more important than yours, right? And I'm going to get my rights, and it doesn't matter how it affects you or what your rights are because they don't matter to me. That's the world we live in today. Okay, that's not Christianity, though. Christianity says that my influence needs to be such that it doesn't harm my opportunity to help people get to heaven, especially my brethren, right? So bear with one another is what he says here. Keep reading. Another connecting word starting verse 4. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So he just quoted from the Psalms and he said uh, this prophecy about the coming of the Messiah. And now he says, you know, the whole reason we have that is because we need to grow from it. The, 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 the Old Testament was, was not only recorded for the people who were dealing with, for example, the prophets and their writing. It's not just the, the books of the Pentateuch were not written just so we'd have the history of where the nation of Israel came from and, and their laws and all that. It was written because, and you've heard me say this many times, because we can read in the New Testament what God says about faith, but when we go to the Old Testament and we see their examples, we see what it looks like. We see a picture of it. And so these things that are written, we don't live under that law, but we grow from it. We get the examples from it. We learn about our God and we learn about how we serve Him and things of that nature. And so what he's saying is what was written about the Christ before He even came wasn't just a prophecy to say who the Messiah would be. It was a prophecy to say who we will be because we're going to follow His example. So you need to be united. Keep going. Verse 5. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Jesus Christ, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. That's where we get into our struggles. See, uh, I, w- I want you to be perfect in order to be, you know, with, with me. I don't. I want you to agree with all of my opinions because I've figured them out. And just because you don't know as much as I do, then you just need to bend, right? And what he says here is, all this was recorded about the Christ so that we would have the mind with each other that we could be a family and get along for the purpose of the spread of the gospel without having to agree with all of equal opinions. In fact, opinions ought to have no place in our arguments because what they do is they divide. My opinions are supposed to be my opinions, and your opinions are supposed to be yours. Let's keep reading. This is actually where I think the break should have been. I don't think it's a complete change in topics, but he does shift gears a little bit in verse 8. 
Now I say that, oh wait, one other thing I forgot, I'm sorry. <laughs> one other thing I forgot to add there about that, receive us also as Christ, receive each other as Christ has received us. Let me ask this question. Uh, is, it, is it difficult sometimes to see people who struggle in life and they, uh, they try to live right and they fail? And then they try to live right and they fail. And they try to live right and they fail. And it gets to a place in our mind where we might be a little bit like the disciples when they said, how, long, how often do we need to forgive somebody? And we start to say, you know what, I'm not sure they're even trying, right? Okay, here's the question. What did I deserve with God? And if I didn't deserve anything either, what makes them different than me as far as God is concerned? And so, especially as it relates to opinions, I can't say, well, I've, I've got better opinions, so I'm, I'm in with God, but you, you're a little lower. They need to be united. Okay, now we'll keep reading. Now, I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers. And that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. For this reason, I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. That's Psalm 18. Again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. That's Psalm 117. Again, Isaiah says, there shall be a root of Jesse. And he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, here's the problem. Our opinions are formed based on our history, right? You have the opinions that you have because that's what you grew up around or that what, that's what you experienced. Everybody approaches life by looking through our glasses. What we usually think is everybody but me. You know, I've got a clear view and you look through it through a different colored glasses and so you just don't understand. But the truth of the matter is everybody looks at every situation from their own history. And so that's why they're fighting with this because the Jewish history was different than the Gentile history and so their opinions were different too. And that made it difficult to get along. But what they had missed, especially the Jewish nation, what they had missed is their own law had told them repeatedly over and over and over again that that the coming of the Messiah would be for all. I mean, Abraham was told that through his seed, one nation would be blessed, wasn't he? He said all nations, didn't he? So they should have got this prophecy all along. And if God was going to accept the Jews, and he was going to accept the Gentiles, which is everybody who's not Jew, what should they be to each other? Not the same? Should they be the same? And the answer is yes. Their opinions shouldn't be the division. 14. Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I've written more boldly to you on some points, as reminding you, because of the grace given to me by God, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God. Stop there. So he says, uh, you know, I've been a little hard on you. Some of the things that I've been saying have been a little rough, but there's a reason. And the reason is, and we've talked about this in this book multiple times, the reason is God gave me a job to do. And the job that he gave me to do was to go to the Gentiles. What's happening in Rome is hurting the gospel going to the Gentiles. You know, 
And I use the illustration of sometimes when we go on the mission field, we make American Christians. We go to Peru and we make American Christians. Or we go to Russia and we make American Christians. But we have different cultures. And what I take there when I make an American Christian is my opinions. Doctrine stays the same. But when I add my opinions to make them American Christians, what do their neighbors think when they go to their neighbors and say, this is the way you do it? What do they think? They think that they've sold out their culture, don't they? So Paul says, I've got to go to the Gentiles, and so I need to be hard on you because you're hurting in the city of Rome the, the ability to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Now he goes further. He just said he's not going to glory, or he has reason to glory in Christ. Now listen to what he says in 18. For I, will, for I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God so that from Jerusalem and roundabout to Illyricum I have fully preached the gospel of Christ and so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel not where Christ was named lest I should build on another man's foundation but as it is written to whom he was not announced they shall see and those who have not heard shall understand again to quote from that time Isaiah but he, he's just saying look I'm going to the people I'm going to because I have a responsibility. These are people who are not going to hear without somebody going. And so I'm not going to go around and I'm not sending you information telling you what all's happening with, you know, Peter. I'm not sending you information that's saying all is happening with Andrew or John or any of the others who are out working. I'm not going to, I'm not going to praise myself about what's happening there. God can use them however he wants to, but he's using me this way. And that's what I'm going to, that's what I'm going to work with. You know, it's, it's really hard. One of the things that is hurting, we've found, psychologically speaking, that's hurting people today is comparison. And it especially has happened as social media has grown. Uh, you know, nobody puts on, again, this is something I've said a lot, but nobody puts on Facebook, you know, how bad their marriage is, right? Everybody's marriage is perfect on Facebook, right? Uh, nobody puts on Facebook how bad this is or that is. They, their life is, is way up here floating in the clouds, and then you see them in person, and you're like, wow, that's not the same person, is it? Okay, and when, what happens is I'm sitting there looking at it and thinking, man, their life's perfect. And I look at mine and think, I don't measure up anymore, right? So we have this comparison. Paul says, I'm not, I'm not comparing myself with them or that work. I have, a, I have a track that God has given me to run on, and that's the one I'm going to run on. And if we get that, we recognize the abilities God has given us and the opportunities God has given us is different than what he's given somebody else. Remember what he talked about, the body having different parts? That's how we, that's how we become united. That's how we work together. 22. For this reason, what reason? He just said, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. And he just said, I'm not going places building on other people's work, right? I'm not going where these other people have gone. I'm going to people who hadn't heard the gospel yet. Now he says, for this reason, the reason that he's got to go to these people that have never heard the gospel. For this reason, I also have been much hindered from coming to you. Now, we know how bad he wanted to go to Rome. We didn't know why he couldn't. 
You know, if you've got, you've probably got trips in your mind that you've wanted to do your whole life. You know, you've had trips that you thought, I'd like to do this, and you've never done it. Maybe it's because you didn't have the money. It was a big trip, and you didn't have the money. Maybe you never had the time. Remember when you were a kid, and you're in college, and you're thinking how your life's going to go, and, and you think you're going to do this, you're going to travel the world, and this and that, and then you get a real job, and it doesn't work that way? Yeah. So you look at Paul and you think, well, I don't know why he didn't get to go to Rome. He's a citizen of Rome. He had a lot of influence. He had a lot of political pull. Uh, I don't understand why he couldn't get there. Well, he just told you. He couldn't get there because he had a job to do. And his job was to preach the gospel to the Gentiles who hadn't heard yet. And he keeps going. Let's read 22 again. For this reason, I also have been much hindered from coming to you, but now no longer having a place in these parts... And having a great desire these many years to come to you, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. For I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you, if first I may enjoy your company for a while. So he said, you know what? It's time to move on. I've covered this area pretty good. It's time to move on. So I'm going to go to Spain. But in order to get to Spain, I'm going to come through Rome. So I'm going to finally get to visit you. And what I'm expecting is that you're going to help me in my journey. He's talking about them financially helping him continue to Spain so that he can preach the gospel there. So he's going to get to visit Rome, but he's not going there for the purpose of preaching and, and this and that. He's going there so he can keep going to a place where the gospel hasn't been yet. Keep reading. But, verse 25, and by the way, that was his plans. We will see his plans didn't work out exactly like he wanted them to. But now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who were in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain. We talked about that when we went through Galatians, didn't we? They had the problems that were happening around the area of Judea and all the things that they were suffering and this famine that was going to happen. And the brethren in Macedonia put together, who were Gentiles, by the way, put together this collection that was going to be taken to Jerusalem. And there were men selected specifically that could be trusted that are going to take that. And Paul's going with them. So he says, I'm going to get to Rome, but I've got a job to do first. And this job's going to cost him. Jerusalem's going to cost him. We're going to start seeing trials in his life. He's going to make it to Rome, but it's not going to be because he wants to go to Spain, and so he's going to go through there and be helped. Plans change. Keep reading. 28. Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. That plan didn't change. How he gets there, what he's doing as he goes through, changes. But what he's going to do when he does get there, didn't change. He's going to come with the truth. He's going to teach the truth wherever he is. He's going to end up doing it in Rome for two years in a, in a house as a prisoner. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God, and may be refreshed together with you. Now the God of peace be with you all. 
Amen. Now, I want to hit that a couple of ways. One of them is, I want us to recognize, we're talking about the Apostle Paul. Look at how confident he always was, and look at how much courage he had, and everything that he did. And now he says, listen, I need you praying for me. If Paul needed prayer, do I? Do you? And when they do it together, does that make a difference, maybe? So he says, you've got to pray for But what was he asking? He was asking for them to pray that he be safe when he goes back to Jerusalem. And that way he can make it to Rome. And even though we haven't studied through that part yet in the book of Acts, God said no. What do you do when God says no? You get mad at him? Decide he doesn't love you anymore? Remember what Paul said when he said, For I'm convinced... Neither life, nor death, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things in heaven, nor things on earth shall separate us from the love of God. None of these things that happen to us, none of these times when God says no, is because he's quit loving us. It actually is just the opposite. It's because he does. We just have a different perspective than God does. So it's not going to go the way he wants, but he wants them praying for him. And the interesting thing about it to me is when it doesn't go the way he wants, Paul never gripes about it. He never complains about it. He never throws up his hands and says, well, I'm not doing it anymore. He just takes the direction it's going, and he goes. Okay, chapter 16. Before we read this, let me say this. I don't know who all these people are. I know who some of them are. I don't pronounce their names right. I'm going to pronounce them the way... I can, and you're going to believe that I know what I'm talking about. Uh, But I'm also going to speculate. There are some things in this chapter. You know that I'm the kind of person that likes to do that. I speculate things that you can't know the answer to. Like, for example, you heard me when we went through the account of David in the Old Testament, and he got so old, he was so sick, he couldn't do anything, and so they brought in this young Shunammite woman to take care of him. And she was incredibly beautiful, and she was incredibly compassionate, and she took care of him so well. And then after David is replaced by Solomon, the first wife that he has that he writes back to in the Song of Solomon was a Shunammite girl. So I speculate, maybe it was her. Maybe it was this same woman that he had seen take so good care of, of her father. Or, or maybe it was somebody else and he just thought there was a connection, you know, that type of person. So I'm going to go there and find one. I don't know. But there are some things in this chapter that I think are good speculation that if nothing else helped me to, to see what's possible and maybe to see that the influences behind some of the things that actually we read happened. So I'm going to do that as we go through this chapter, and we've only got 15 minutes, so I can't go too far. He says, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Sincrea, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and assist her in whatever business she has need of you, for indeed she has been a helper of many and of myself also. Now, where she comes from is only about nine miles from Corinth. What she's doing is taking the letter. She carries this letter, and so Paul says, I commend her to you. In other words, she's somebody that I trust, and she's bringing this letter to Rome for me, so you guys treat her with the respect that she deserves. Okay, this is his sign-off chapter. You ever send an email to somebody that you hadn't seen in a long time, and you're writing to them personally, maybe a, a wife or a husband, and you say to them in the end, tell your wife, hi from me, or tell your husband, hi from me, or say hi to your kids. You ever do that? Okay, that's what he starts doing here now. Verse 3. Greet Priscilla and Aquila. Who, do, who are they? Who are they? 
They were tent makers, yeah. They they were corrected in some teaching that, or corrected in some teaching. Uh, they correct. Let me say that right. They corrected Apollos in his teaching when he needed better understanding, didn't they? They worked with Paul a lot. Somehow they ended up settling in Rome. Does that help us understand how the gospel got there? Maybe. So Aquila and Priscilla, keep reading that. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Now, we don't know what the event was that happened that Paul says they risked their life. We don't know uh, what that event is. It's just not recorded for us. But here's what we know. They worked in a lot of places, and these are Jewish people who worked with the Gentiles. And as a consequence of that, they have a great reputation. They settle in Rome, and they continue the same work they've done everywhere else, and the church has grown as a consequence. And there's more. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Okay, in the first century, especially early in the first century, they didn't have in a lot of places facilities like this. Well, they didn't have anywhere facilities like this. But they didn't have facilities they could use. Sometimes you know that when Paul would go into a place, he would go to a synagogue, right? Because that's where the Jews met. So that's a structure of some kind, obviously. But, but when the church began meeting, what they had to do is they had to meet in homes. Okay, well, as the church grows, I mean, think about the city of Jerusalem. Who has a home that will hold 3,000 people? Not going to happen, is it? So what they did is they met in houses and if you're talking about scattered throughout a city like rome you know how do you get the people living on the west side of town together with the people that are on the east side of town and so congregations went in people's homes aquila and priscilla had one of those congregations meeting in their home that's a good strong family isn't it verse six greet mary who labored much for us i don't know who this mary is there's a lot of mary's mentioned in the scripture i'm not going to speculate on her Greet Adronicus and Junia, my kinsmen, and my fellow prisoners, who were of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Okay, time to speculate. Uh, I've got several commentaries. Uh, almost all of them at this point say, uh, these. he uses the word relative here, uh, meaning as a brother, a Christian, you know, Christian, my spiritual relative. But the problem I have with that, and they used Timothy as the example. You know, there were many times that he said Timothy was his brother, didn't he? But he always said it like this. He'd say, my brother in the Lord, something like that. Okay, so I don't get, in my own mind as I study this, I don't get that idea of it connecting to his brethren because I see in this chapter there are many times he does connect them as brethren, but this time he did it different. He called them his kinsmen. That's different. So what this makes me believe is that these are two individuals who are somehow related to Paul who became Christians when? Uh-oh. Before him. What was it like to be a Christian around Paul before he became a Christian? Not great, was it? So maybe that helps explain some of what was happening with his zealousness, with his, uh, with his anger. I mean, he has family who's giving to this blasphemy of Christianity. He's got to stop that. You see it? 
Now look where they are. Not only were they faithful, but they actually had a great reputation among the apostles, which tells us they were around Jerusalem. (laughs) They might have been converted on the day of Pentecost. But now they're in Rome. And guess what? They're still faithful and they're still working. Don't know when. At some point, they were in prison just like he was. Maybe even at the same time. Uh, Not by the way he... I don't think it was by the way he says it. I think they were there with him after he obeyed the gospel. Somewhere. He was in a lot of times. Could have. Yeah. And might have. Okay, let's keep reading now. Verse 8. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. See, he refers to him differently, right? That's a spiritual relationship there. Uh, Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. And Stachus, my beloved... Greet Apelles, approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodion, my kinsman. Okay, there's another one that's different. And this one has a name that tends to connect to the authority of the Jews. The family of the Herods. So maybe some of Paul's connection somewhere in his family line was the leading blood of Israel. It would help explain why he was so prominent. Keep reading. Uh, Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my kinsman. uh, Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, who have labored in the Lord. Greet the beloved Persis, who labored much in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. I've got to speculate again. This one causes me a little bit of struggle. I think there's really two primary possibilities, maybe three primary possibilities. One possibility is that this is the Rufus that is mentioned in the account of the crucifixion of Jesus. Uh, He is one of the sons of a man by the name of Simon who is a North African Jew, Simon of Cyrene. You remember him? The scriptures tell us that this Simon took his sons, one of whom is Rufus, and he went to Jerusalem for this Passover. And while Jesus is falling under the weight of the cross, going to the place called Golgotha, uh, Simon is the one that's pushed out and carries that cross from him. Maybe that's the same Rufus. Rufus. And if it is, that would help us understand why he was willing to listen when they taught that Jesus was the Messiah, wouldn't it? That's possible. Uh, The other side of it is possible is this. Uh, And this one's, I'm really stretching. I know I am. But I want to speculate on these names because we don't know who they are. Uh, Maybe he's just Paul's brother. But by the way that he mentions him, he says his mother and mine would lead you to believe that it's not the same father. So maybe Paul's mother, because Paul was a Roman, wasn't he? So maybe Paul's father was a Roman, and when Paul's mother obeyed the gospel, his father did not and was unwilling to remain, and that might have an influence on why he writes 1 Corinthians chapter 7 the way that he does. When he talks about a person who becomes a Christian and the spouse is unwilling, maybe then she went to North Africa. I I know that's a stretch. So here's the third one. This is what I think is most likely. Maybe he's just a guy named Rufus. And uh, somehow Paul was close to him. And his mother, the mother of Rufus, 
was so close to Paul that she treated him and he felt toward her like a mother. That happens, doesn't it? I think we need those things. I do. Uh, So I think I wanted to speculate and then I wanted to pull you back into what I think is most likely because I don't want to get too carried away. But I just find it exciting to think about those possibilities. You see the influence these things would have on him as his family. There are people that obey the gospel and he's this young Jew who is so adamant against Christianity and this is all happening around him. His world's falling apart. That'd make you angry, wouldn't it? Now we keep reading. We're going to get out of some of these names. 14. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermas, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brethren who are with them. See, there are several of these places where they, evidently we're, we're talking about the leaders of various congregations in the city. Greet Philologus and Julia, Nerus and his sister and Olympus and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. It's interesting to me, all these names. I really... You know, there's nothing in the Bible that, uh, that is there just to fill space. You get that, right? There's a reason it's there, and inspiration has delivered it to us. And yet I gave you all those names, and we really didn't know any of them, right? Except for Aquila and Priscilla. Now, I could speculate on some of them, and we get a little bit, but we really don't know who they are, so I wonder why they're all there. And then I start seeing the fact that these are people who are in various places throughout the city of Rome involved with individual congregations that are meeting in people's houses, what happens in these, why do we have cities, smaller towns, or even the big ones, when you have one congregation on this street, and a block and a half over you have another congregation in the Lord's Church? Why do we do that? Honestly, why do we do it? Sometimes they come about because of uh, disagreement on doctrine. Usually that's what happens later. Usually that's not where it starts. Usually it starts because, well, I'm a different race than you, or I'm a different education than you, or I'm at a different place socially than you, okay? And so you get congregation. That's usually where it starts. That may not be where it ends up, but that's usually where it starts. And then at some point, some of them go off or whatever. But here's the problem. What happens oftentimes if they start like that is, how much are they going to do together? And if the city of Rome is struggling with Jews and Gentiles who are having a problem with the Jews wanting the Gentiles to hold the old law and the Gentiles not, what's the likelihood that those congregations that begin in that, in that culture are Gentile congregation and Jew congregations? So he names people in all these congregations scattered throughout to point out the fact that they are supposed to be united. They are all people that he's praising as influence to be respected he's trying you see how he's trying to build this unity here okay i'm almost out of time 17 now I urge you brethren note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine doctrine which you learned and avoid him that's the opposite of what he just now did I'm telling you, these people are the people that will help you grow closer to God and be united as a family. But there are people who are dividing, and you need to know who they are. You need to point them out. Paul hadn't even been there. All these people are people he knows. They came from other places. You see how they began? But he doesn't know who's causing the problems. So he says, you can handle that job. Point them out. People need to be warned. Verse 19. Uh, for your, oh wait, 18. 
For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. See what I was talking about, about congregations, how sometimes they begin next to others. Because, and what happens when you have one at this place and one a block and a half away? What happens when you get mad at the preacher at this one over here? You go two miles down the road to the other one, right? You know where I grew up? Uh, there was two towns, one on each side of the Arkansas-Missouri border. They were about three miles apart. When I was a kid, the people that were in the congregation where I grew up, the congregation two miles away today is that group of people. And the congregation that was in the other town is where I grew up now. They've just switched buildings, evidently. A little at a time. Keep reading. For your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I'm glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what's good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Now, John's going to write about that. They are suffering in Rome. They're suffering all throughout the world. God's going to beat that, isn't he? John would write about that in the book of Revelation. Now, I'm out of time, so let me just summarize. 21 through 24. He talks about Timothy. Timothy's with him. He's not writing to these other people. He's writing about the. I want these people to know that these are people that are telling you hello as well. Timothy is one of them. Lucius, Jason, Sosipater, and, and, and his kinsman. Again, somebody that I think is related to him. And now something else. 22. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, my host. And the host of the whole church greets you. Erastus, the treasure of the city, greets you. And Cordus, a brother, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. I thought Paul wrote this book. So how'd this guy write it? Aha! A lot of times, lessons were preached, and they were recorded by somebody else. So Tertius is involved somehow with this work that Paul is doing, and he has written for Paul this letter. There were other times that Paul closed the letters. You read it, we studied it, when he said, look at the large handwriting. Well, that's because he was saying, I wrote this one personally. Not saying that Romans is not his inspired thoughts, but that Tertius actually was involved in the production of it. So he sent his greeting too. 25. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but now has been made manifest, and by the prophetic scriptures has been made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith, to God alone, wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. So it's just his, his signing off, and he, he, he draws it all back where it's supposed to be. This is all about the gospel. This is all about honoring God, praising God. And the only way they're going to do that is by following what he writes here and being united the way that they're supposed to. Yes. Why, why, why did he say my gospel? Because that's what he's following. The word gospel just means good news. Uh, that's applicable to anything that, good, that is good news. So I don't think he's claiming that he's the originator. I think he's claiming that I'm teaching the same thing that was the original, but it has become mine because I'm going to follow it. Okay, let's close with a prayer. Father, we're so thankful for the opportunity to be here tonight. We're so thankful for the value spiritually of this book that we've been studying. We pray that we will make application to our lives, that we can be the individuals and we can be the family that you desire for us to be. Help us to grow closer to each other as we grow closer to you and help us to shine your light throughout this world. Forgive us where we fail you in Christ's name. Amen.